Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing Watson X Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Good Calls with Dean Blandino, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, what's up? It's Dean Blandino. This is another episode of Good Calls. As always, I'm joined by, I'm cringing, just thinking about how he's going to respond to me. Travis Hansen. Hello, how are you? <laughs> That's better. And on audio, as always, Joe Madrid. What's up? What's up? What's up? Episode 13. 13 episodes, guys. Congratulations. 13 is my... I hate I hate people say that, oh, 13's unlucky, and they don't put like... There's a 13th floor in every building, by the way. Okay? Yes. Whether you label it 14, it's the 13th floor which is pretty annoying that they do that. My birthday is on the 13th. Superstition, give me a break, whatever. All right, we got a great show. We're going to we're going to talk NFL obviously. More pass interference discussion. We've got Andrea Kramer is going to join us and uh and then we're going to break down some stuff, some college football controversy in the Iron Bowl and then as always hit some stuff that happened in the Cube this weekend. So let's start with pass interference review. Going into week 12 of the NFL regular season, there had been 71 reviews for pass interference and only and only 12 were overturned. So the bar had been set very high and uh, in terms of you know a call on the field being made, overturning that, or a call not being made and adding it in replay. What we saw in week 12, we saw six reviews and three were overturned. So it kind of felt like a little bit of a, of a philosophy shift that some of the calls that were made in replay, if you compared them to some from previous weeks, it was hard to, to, to find a, a discernible, you know, a real difference between the, the contact, the level of contact, but three of six in week 12, so far in week 13, again, six reviews, three reversals. So not basing this on any any concrete fact, but it does feel like that that there has been a little bit of a shift in in how these plays are being looked at. And just to kind of break down some of the calls from this week, 
I think the one that garnered the most attention was was our game, and this was the game of the week. You had you know you have nine and two Baltimore versus ten and one San Francisco, and uh, and it was in the third quarter. It was a pass from Mark Andrews, and Jimmy Ward clearly contacts him early, and and you watch it you watch it in real time, and you say there's contact. Passes incomplete. There's no flag on the field. Andrews gets up and his hands are up and, you know, what happened? Why was there no flag? Coach Harbaugh, John Harbaugh throws the flag. It goes to review. You know, I went on the air and talked about it. Look, the contact is clearly early. The play ultimately stood. And the bottom line is when you're talking about pass interference, and I think sometimes we get, we always think pass interference. We think when you, Travis, when you think pass interference, what player, offense or defense, do you do you look at first? Defense. Defense. Joe? Yeah, defense. Defense. But the rule the when you and when you look at the rule book, there there isn't a specific rule for offensive pass interference and defensive pass interference. There now there are some things that will only be offensive pass interference, like blocking downfield. But pass interference is pass interference. It applies to players on both sides of the football. And one of the, the rules says that it says both players have an equal right to the path of the football. And a defensive player can make a play on a ball and make contact that would normally be pass interference. The only exception would be you can't play through the back to get to a football. And that's the key. So here, this is the issue on this play. Ward is clearly playing the football. He's clearly early. Does he go through the back or does he get even with the receiver? Is it more shoulder to shoulder? I thought that it wasn't clearly in the back. I thought if you watch one of the replays, you can see Andrew's numbers the entire time, which would indicate that that the contact wasn't directly in the back. And I thought the call was going to stand, and and that's what they ended up doing. And I'm not saying I'm right or or wrong. It's just it's such a hard call. Does intent matter? Because to me, it was very very clear that he was going for the ball. And absolutely. And 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 we talk about pass interference. When one player is playing the ball and one player is not playing the ball, whether it's offense or defense is not playing the ball, that player is now suspect for pass interference. Right? If you're playing the ball, you have a, a defender has a right to that path of the football. And we, but we always think if honestly, if you switch the if you switch the roles and make and make Andrews Ward and Andrews jumping for the ball, trying to make the catch, and him making contact with the defender. Would we be up in arms saying, "Well, that's offensive pass interference"? We no. The receiver's trying to make a play on the ball, and I think sometimes we just have to we just have to separate offense and defense and say it's all one, and they both have a right to the to the path of the football. But it's a tough look. It's a close call. I'm not saying that it's clearly not pass interference. I just thought it was close enough to not have it added in replay because the call in the field was not made. What about the fact that he kind of grazed his head while going for the ball? Yeah, I mean, there's contact There's contact with the head. Again, to me, that's contact that results from him trying to to catch the football. That's how I look at it. And if you're not playing clearly through the back, you're not gonna you're not gonna get that call. I think that's the best way to really understand it. How you explain it? You explained in the cube today. If you switch the players, and I think if people really grasped that, they would get it a lot better. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think even you know, and we had a discussion on the air with Charles Davis, our, our analyst on the game. And Charles is a former defensive back, and he thought it was pass interference. And when we kind of had a good discussion and a good healthy dialogue about it, and and there was you know some disagreement amongst the rules analysts, right? Terry McCauley. On, on on NBC thought it was pass interference. John Perry on ESPN thought it was pass interference. Pereira was was agreeing that it wasn't pass interference. So again, 
this call is so subjective. And what we're seeing is the standard, you know, where is it? Is it moving? What What is going to be enough? You look at Philadelphia, Miami, no call on the field, challenged by Miami. You have Jalen Mills grabbing Devontae Parker's arm. It's added. He's got his arm around Parker's shoulder before the ball gets there. It's close, but they add that. They add that in I replay. I thought it was a good ad. I thought it was a good ad, too. And it, and it was more in line with kind of what we thought was a philosophy change or a shift in, in from what we saw in Week 12. Then, then you get you get two plays in in the Raider Chiefs game, um, and that was Joe's Joe's hypothetical lock of the week was the Raiders. That hypothetical. Oh, you have to talk that, about that, that one, that, not the two that won. That that hypothetical lock hypothetically was not good. And so, but you have you have in the first quarter you have no call on on Lamarcus Joyner, and he makes contact with Sammy Watkins. Challenged by Kansas City, no flag added, so they let it stand. And I thought if you compare that with the Miami play, similar, close, close type of contact. There was a there was a grab with the left arm, and then he and they kind of tomahawk chopped with the right arm before the ball got there. No, no call added. Later in the game, third quarter, six fifty six. You have an interception by the Raiders in the end zone, and uh, no call. Trayvon Mullen gets gets called then in replay. Uh, for contacting Demarcus Robinson, and I thought, and and I really like Tony Tony Romo. I've always liked him. I know Cowboys fans don't think I liked him because I overturned the Dez play, but I've always liked him as an analyst. I liked him as a football player, but I thought he had a great line. I thought that was such a, a great line because he goes, he basically says, "All right, let's bring in Gene so he can get this one wrong," <laughs> which is hilarious. They were laughing as as it laughing, happened. but but the thing is, he's not saying that because he thinks Gene is incompetent, he's saying that because we've kind of been all over the place. Right. And and it's so hard. And I struggle with it. Pereira struggles with it because you're just you're trying to come up with some consistent standard or something you can you can kind of hang your hat on. And it's really hard because this is such a subjective call. And not all pass interference are created equal. And every play's a little bit different. There's always going to be a little variance. You look at then we go to the, the to the the Rams Cardinals game and there was no call made, third quarter. Um the guy that the rule should be named after, right. our guy Roby Coleman here, he interferes with Larry Fitzgerald or what looks like interference, no call. Play was reviewed, automatic review because it was an interception. Call reverse. They add replay um, for Saints fans. It's probably how many months too late, but they add the call <laughs> on on Coleman, and uh, he held he held Fitz's arm down. Again, when you look at all of these plays and you try to find some common denominators, it's tough. And that's not an indictment on the people making the decisions in New York. That's just the nature of this call. It is very subjective. I feel like the obvious ones that that got that got added are the ones where you're seeing an arm being held. That that's the significant hindering that, that we talked uh, yeah, about. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're trying to find some common denominator, like I said, and that could be it. You know, the arm being held, but then you go back to to Golden Tate, you go back to DeAndre Hopkins, a couple of calls that weren't overturned. But again, it's it's so subjective, and, I, and I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but this is what you get when you make these calls reviewable. And, I'm, and look, this rule can work. It can work. They can tweak it. They can look at it, and they will do that. There's, We've only got 13 weeks of a sample size, 13, you know, just under 13 weeks. Still got a couple games to go, but to me, it's something that is is we're going to continue 
to kind of have to kind of go through these 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 rocky waters to try to get to a, a you know a really consistent standard and it's just hard it's really hard you saw the end of the Chargers Broncos game right that's a game deciding play and you've got what what it's not a hail mary but it's it's kind of a hail mary type throw you know they're down to eight seconds seven seconds and the DB you know he doesn't he doesn't turn. He cuts off the route and he turns late and he interferes with with the Broncos receiver and they get a first down and they they're in field goal range and they kick the game winning field goal. Now that's an automatic review inside two minutes. I thought there were a couple of good replays that showed it was pass interference. Personally, because it is so critical, uh, I would have liked to have seen them stop the game and just make sure everybody understands mm-hmm. that they looked at it. I think people still, you know, you see those comments on social media or whatever. It was, they didn't even look at it. No, they looked at it. They're, they're reviewing every play, and they're looking at it, especially scoring plays, turnovers, and inside two minutes when the, when replay's responsible for stopping the game. They're reviewing it, and they make decisions on a lot of those plays to not stop the game because they have evidence to confirm it, or they feel like they're not going to change it. And so why are we going to delay the game further? And I agree with that in the third I like quarter. That. I agree with that yeah. in the third quarter. With two seconds to go and they're going to kick the game-winning field goal, just just make it clear that it was looked at, have the referee make an announcement. But I do like that philosophy. If we know we're not going to change it, why are we going to stop the game for an extra two minutes? To me, that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. So, But that's pass interference. You know, we're going to be talking about this the rest of the season through the postseason for yeah, sure. Yeah, let's shift gears then and another rule that, that we, we may see some change where we've seen articles about, you know, potential changes, but all of a sudden this week – Things went completely off what what was happening early in the season. Um, that's the onside rule or the onside kick. Like we we saw a bunch there. Dean, talk about that. That thank you, Travis. <laughs> that was a great suggestion to talk about the onside kick. Hey, that, you know, that was actually really nice. Yeah. Way to take the bull by it's the not horn, like, buddy. Yeah, it's just move on. Just Travis just taking that. It's not like he and I talked about that before the show, Never. and I asked him to. Are team you trying to do a spinoff? He's he's he is. Well, what would his show be called? Like, what was? Me, it was, his podcast would be, he would be, it would how be, uncomfortable no, can no, no. Dean make me? Yeah, I make Travis so uncomfortable. <laughs> it would be, it would be SWG with Travis Hansen. That would be the name of the show. Cause Travis is standard white guy. Travis is the standard white guy. Tra- ever, you gotta have, you gotta have the standard white guy in your group. Like, you know, some groups have, that's all they have is just the standard white guy and a lot of, you know, conservatives. But anyway, but it's just the standard white guy with Travis Hansen. I would listen to it every week and I would call you and make fun of you and make you feel so uncomfortable. That's good. If it makes you feel better, then I'm here. Let's for make that you. happen. We've got the equipment. So we could just yeah. right after this, yeah. we'll, we'll do what are you, you going to talk about? What are you going to talk about? I don't want to talk first about episode? it. <laughs> See, he's so, he's so uncomfortable. What are you going to talk, talk about? about rules in survivor went, pools? <laughs> You, about your, you know, your your Dave Matthews band experience. I don't like, like Dave Matthews. Though. I think most standard you, white guys have to like. What are you? What are you going to talk about? Like rollerblading? What's what's going the on? The Eagles. The Eagles. <laughs> so anyway, that's good. All right, let's let's talk about the onside kick because honestly, we had been talking about this, and you know, I think we were concerned. Small sample size, and I think that's why you don't jump to conclusions, and that's why the competition committee will always look at something over the course of a full season or several seasons. Because the onside kick, we had seen it historically, the number was 13% for success in terms of recovering them. Last year, we saw it drop to eight. This year, we hadn't had a lot. It was hovering between three and 4% in terms of successful on expected onside kicks. That's what the NFL looks at. Expected onside kicks is when everybody's lined up and everybody's prepared for it. 
the the surprise onside kick that's a surprise onside kick that that's an anomaly you know that that's you know you see something on tape you see something in a previous kick kick kickoff um that tells you that you have a chance to get that surprise kick but expected onside kick you know there were only two going into week 13 that were successful so far in week 13 we've had 3 an additional three. And if you count the one, Atlanta and New Orleans, Atlanta had three in that game. One got called back on an offside penalty that was close, questionable. I think people sometimes, and even the officials, we have to differentiate between offside and an illegal formation. The kicking team player has to have both feet on the ground with one foot on the 34 until the ball is kicked. Then can go, but can't be beyond the restraining line when the ball is kicked. So all these things. So you had three this week. So now for the season so far, five successful onside kicks and 38 expected attempts. That takes us right back to 13%. So to me, we had there was a CBS Sports um, report that the league was going to consider looking at the Denver Bronco proposal from last year. And if you're not familiar with that, that was a proposal for a team that could take an option in the fourth quarter only when they're, when they're trailing instead of an onside kick, they could go for a fourth and 15 from the 35 yard line. And that proposal didn't get enough votes last year. And they were talking about, they were talking about um, bringing that back and possibly discussing it in the off season. To me, if we stay at thirteen percent, there's no reason. There's no reason, and that's why you don't you don't make knee jerk reactions. You look at the whole season, sometimes a couple of seasons, before you you consider major major changes. You think they'll still talk about that at meetings? Yeah, I think they I think they talk about all of those things, and they'll have a discussion about the onside kick. They'll look at the tape. They'll look at all of the the uh, expected onside kicks. And they'll they'll study it, but to me, it's always going to be driven by the numbers. The onside kick is so important for comebacks and close games. And if you're if you have a thirteen percent success rate, that's where it's been historically, regardless of it's, these changes. I don't think you. I don't think there's going to be a, a compelling argument or a push to make a change. It really feels like it should go down, considering they got rid of that huge running start. The huge running start. <laughs> you got to bring that back up. The huge running start. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, that's, that was the fear, right? You don't have that running start and, uh, you're not going to get that momentum and you're not going to get as far downfield that you need to, to get that. But look, the, the Atlanta kicker, and, and it's funny of the, of the five, three have been against the saints. And, and when you talk about the saints, Darren Rizzi, the special teams coach for the saints is one of the best in the business. You mentioned He's, that Darren over the is, weekend. Yeah. Darren is one of the best in the business by far. And it's just, I think it's an anomaly that you see just that, you know, one team. And, and I know I felt bad for Darren, you know, watching the game on Thursday on Thanksgiving because when Atlanta recovered that second one, he, Sean, let him have it. And and I've been on the other end of, of a Sean Payton kind of uh, verbal uh, beat, Assault. beat down. And uh, it's not fun. But, again, something to continue to look at. But I think you can kind of put the onside kick is is dead. You can put that that argument to rest, and and I think uh, I think the league will be happy about that because to me, the the kickoff is still part of the fabric of the game, and you want to make it as safe as possible. And certainly, if we have 
if we have a ton of injuries and especially head-to-head neck injuries. But the kick off the onside kick, those, those are exciting plays. You want to keep it as safe as possible. But to, to go to a third, four, a fourth and 15 type play, it just feels like it's going, it's kind of gimmicky and it's going against the, the you know, kind of the fabric and the tradition of the game. Not the, not the only factor, certainly, but just my opinion. Um, let's talk about another play from Thursday before we take a break, and that's the Buffalo-Dallas. This was, uh, you know, the highest rated game. I think our one of the, our producer on on last call, and he and he comes in Bondo Stephen Bond. He's a which we're upset that his parents didn't name him Stephen James Bond. Would have been a great would have been a great opportunity there. Um, I would have got a lot more chicks. He's a yeah. He's a big Bills fan. So he's walking on air, like walking on. He's cloud nine right now. But um, that game, Buffalo Dallas, you had. To me, it was a great illustration of why we can't jump to conclusions. It was in the second quarter, and it was an illegal use of hands called against against Jordan Phillips of the Bills. And the replay, the replay that we showed on the air, got to it late, and it was you see Phillips kind of making some contact to Dak Prescott's kind of head neck area, and you see the official throwing the flag even before that contact occurred, and a lot of people assume that the call was for the contact on Dak and that was not what the call was for. You don't have illegal hands to the face of a quarterback. If you had any contact to the face that was forcible, that would be rough in the passer. Certainly could have a face mask, but not illegal use of hands. And and so when you go back and you look at the live shot or you look at the coach's tape, it's actually it's actually on Travis Frederick. Phillips does get his right hand up to Tra- Frederick's um, head neck area and pins the head back, and that's what the call was for. And it was a correct call, but again, we get that's why officials. It's so hard because the scrutiny. Very rarely do we get the official's perspective, the angle that the official had, and sometimes we're looking at it from a different angle. We don't see the entire act, and and we rush to judgment. So I just thought that was a good. A good illustration of uh, you know that type of thing happening, and, and looking at all the angles and all the available resources before we jump to a conclusion. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk to. I'm one of her biggest fans. She's amazing. The one and only Andrea Kramer. Next on Good Calls. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. 
So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. All right, we're back on Good Calls, and I am so excited and so honored to be Introducing our guest this week, she is, she's an Emmy Award winner. She's won the Peabody Award. She has covered Olympics, Super Bowls, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup. She has interviewed a who's who in the sports world. Someone, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Pete Rosell, Radio and Television Award winner. The incomparable, I could go on and on an unbelievable person, a great friend, Andrea Kramer. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm very honored to be on with you. I, I, I think that I'm following in the footsteps of some esteemed guests that you've had prior to me. And I'll be honest, I am, I am a little bit, I'm a little bit intimidated because you have, in just doing your, you know, my, my, preparation for talking to you. You have interviewed and so many unbelievable people and you're a master of the interview. You actually teach a course at Boston University called The Art of the Interview. What what tell me a little bit about that and what is that all about? I do, which means I will be evaluating you. You'll yes. be getting a grade. Yeah. Just like back to your your old days when you were We're an officiating now. That's right. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. I think um I, I, I think that interviewing is really a lost art, and um, I uh, had been asked to guest lecture years ago uh, by a woman that I knew who was a professor at Boston University in the journalism school, and she asked me to come in and talk about my Olympic experiences. So I came in, and I did my normal prep, which is rather exhaustive, and when the class was over, she said, would you ever be interested in teaching? And I said, well, you know, I, I talked to so many young people and it, maybe I, I would because it's sort of a way to institutionalize a lot of the knowledge that I've gathered mm -hmm. and learned of in my 30 plus year career. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> just clearing my throat there. And um, they, you know, they basically said to me, design the class that you want, whatever it is, we're going to make it easy for you. No meetings, you know, you don't have to get involved in any of that stuff. Just teach the class. And it's been really great. Uh, it's made me probably even more neurotic about what I do, if that's humanly possible. <laughs> 
just because you're 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 hyper focusing on it. But um, it's great, and I love my students, and I keep in touch with a bunch of them, and I'm I'm so proud of them when they go on to great things. So it's just my fifth job, Dean. Yeah, you know? I know you're it's, like me. It's nice to be wanted, right? You're like me. I got a lot of jobs, a lot of lot of balls in the air right now. It's so. good to be wanted. That's it right. Beats the alternative. That's right. But I I will be anxiously awaiting my grade at the end of the interview. So. I have no doubt you will be earning an A. So, and and in looking at your bio, and it's interesting because there's so many, in reading about you and your career, there's so many firsts when it comes to being a, a female. And and so you're, you know, you and Hannah Storm are doing the Amazon broadcast, and it's the first all female, all female booth in any men's sport. You you're we need to talk is is the sports show on CBS that you're doing all first all female nationally televised sports show. And I honestly, I struggled a little bit with, you know, highlighting those things, but you, your accomplishments are unbelievable. I don't care, man, woman, alien, your accomplishments are amazing. And, and I was talking to Amy Trask last week and, and she's another, another kind of groundbreaking person in the NFL. And it's like, where's the line between highlighting your accomplishments as a woman, but also just your accomplishments are unbelievable regardless of gender. Well, if you talk to Amy, uh, my dear friend for many decades, she will tell you that she she actually doesn't like to uh, reflect on the on the gender aspect of things. That you know you should be evaluated for your work regardless yeah, of gender, that, yeah. race, things of that nature. Uh, for me, I, I guess uh, starting with being the first female correspondent that ESPN ever hired, it's just sort of the way it is, and I've never kind of focused on it in in terms of uh, the, you know, the ground that you are, are breaking. I've just, what I've always aimed for is just knowing that everything that you do helps set the stage for people that are coming behind you. And that's, that in itself is enough motivation to want to do things the right way. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's really important to do that. There's so many more opportunities that, that excuse me, young people, particularly young women, have in the sports business. But I, I just think that there are certain absolutes that you need to have, and um, a, you know, a high degree of professionalism and understanding that reputations are very easy to build, very mm-hmm. hard to tear down. And I just think that I've never kind of thought about the groundbreaking nature of of what I do. I just kind of do it. And uh, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. So uh, prior to my uh, my Hall of Fame induction at the Pro Football Hall of Fame last year. Two years ago, I got inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. And one of the people that was there was uh, Mike Quick, the, the sure. amazing receiver, wide yeah. receiver. So my very first job in sports, I hate to, I even hate to give a date here, 1992, <laughs> excuse me, 19, I wish, 1982. Um, I was the sports editor of the largest weekly newspaper in Pennsylvania. And I wanted to do a profile on Mike Quick, the rookie wide receiver who was going into who was going to the, his first Pro Bowl. So I put in a request with the Eagles, and women were not allowed in the locker room on non-game days. Wow! Think about that. Wow! So I got special dispensation to come in the day after the season on a Monday to come in and interview Mike. So you know, guys, you know how it is. The end of the season, they're wrapping up their stuff and throwing all their things in a duffel bag to get out, clean out their lockers. 
and Mike is sort of sitting in one locker and I'm just sitting next to him. And I have my recorder, but we're just sort of talking. And after talking for about five minutes, he looks at me and he goes, wow, you really know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was kind of like, yeah, duh. What do you think I'm here for? We joked about that when he was there for my Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame induction because, you know, he was the first person that I really kind of interviewed and that dates all the way back. But again, you just sort of don't think about how groundbreaking it is. You just know that you're doing the job and you want to do it as good as anybody, male or female. Yeah. And that was, you know, Amy, Amy told the story about being at the league meeting. She mentioned meeting you in the ladies room and, and how the where, there line, wasn't a long line, where there was no line, like one of the few right. places, right. but she mentioned her first special session, which is the privilege session where it's just two people per club and that right. somebody from another club saw her and asked her to go get her a cup of coffee. And, and right. so it's one of those things and she played it off really well and she said, Oh, well, you know, sugar cream, you know, kind of, okay. Playing along with it and said that the, the person was mortified when they realized who she was. And, and I think that's that's part of the challenge of you're like you just want to do the job the best you can, regardless of, of you know, anything else. But you are you are laying the groundwork for so many young women that see what you do and that that inspires them to to greater heights and to do other things in their lives. Well, you can't you can't hope so. I think that the the Amazon the the Amazon thing is is a big deal only because, as you pointed out, uh, we're the first uh, all-female broadcast booth of, of a male professional sport in, in the U.S. And then, you know, my individual role is the first full-time female NFL game analyst. And you you hope that it just begins to normalize things. We mm-hmm. joke, we're on our Amazon broadcast, we're in 224 countries around the world. And the idea of somebody potentially in Indonesia that hears this American football broadcast and they hear yeah. two women, well, that's all they know. Yeah. They don't know that that's something that unique, that's something that foreign to, to anything else. Uh, and there's, there's something else. You, you, you like your numbers. So, so consider this one. Uh, the first football game was televised in 1939. And so you can imagine yeah. how many games have been broadcast since then, right? Sure. Up until last year. Now, th- now think about this. All the innovations. They've had the first downline and Skycam mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff, all the great technological innov- innovations that, uh, that have been uh, implemented by television broadcast networks. But until last year, the broadcast booth looked the same. Think about that. Unbelievable. Thousands of how many games? Hundreds of thousands. The broadcast booth is yeah, right. But then you know, in terms of the the broadcast booth, and even even Dean, and look, I think that Fox putting you and Mike on the air was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant, because it gave a totally different perspective uh, that was necessary to expect. I mean, there's nobody in my years of working. Uh, on Sunday Night Football, there's nobody, I don't know if you feel the same way, that knows the rules the way Al Michaels does. Yeah, sure. It's unbelievable. And yet, even he will be the first to tell you, you can't even, you can't keep, you can't keep up with it. It's impossible. It's just impossible. And one of the things that I learned, which I, was really interesting, earlier this season, I had the opportunity 
to, along with my producer, Betsy Riley, watch a Thursday night football game before our season started in the command center with Al Riveron mm-hmm. and Russell York and, and uh, Donna Ponte and, of course, Troy Vincent. And I had said something about uh, whether it was who are the, the players that are some a player that's active or something like that. And Troy looks at me and he goes, well, we don't, we don't really pay attention to that. We, we almost don't really pay attention to the game in the sense that we only focus on the referee. Yeah. We focus on that. And it was just really, it was really, oh, I know why it was. It came up because I asked for a flip card, which has the depth sure, charts on sure, it. Sure, sure, And he said, well, we don't have that here. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, but we don't, we, that's not what we, that's not what we care about. So that was just, that was enlightening in itself, just the idea of, what gets focused on if you're an official as opposed to what gets focused on if you're a broadcaster. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I give credit to, you know, Pereira when he left, I mean, that was, that was groundbreaking that no other sport had had an officiating voice. And I thought it was such an unbelievable new innovation. And now you've seen every network has one. And because the rules are, like you said, Al Michaels knows the rules, but he's not going to know the rules like an official or a former official or somebody that worked in the, in the officiating department. And, uh, and that was definitely groundbreaking. And, and it's interesting. You talk about the Amazon experience. What is that? What have been some of the challenges? Because when you, you know, I've talked to you about football and we kind of, we were even texting last night about the game, but it's, to think about explaining the game to somebody in Indonesia, all right, that's that's not something that most analysts have to have to deal. How much of a factor is that when you're explaining something? Are you are you really getting you know? Is it almost a one on one type of explanation to somebody when you know no. how many countries there are? Well, no, 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 no. I don't think it's anything like that. Um, I go back to uh, some advice that Al Michaels gave me before I started this last year. And he says to me, uh, he says, uh, you know, 90% of the broadcasters don't really understand the language that they use. And 99% of the audience doesn't understand it either. So don't get wrapped up in, in the language that is football. And there's no question that that does exist. So for example, if I'm talking about a jet sweep or ghost motion or the pistol formation, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to actually indicate what I mean by that. I'm going to break down what it is with the pistol formation that, you know, you've got the the running back lined up behind the quarterback. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and if if he's in the shotgun, whatever it is, I'm just explaining it. And Dean, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's not that hard. I mean, do you, do you need to say a rub route or do you need to say, well, kind of like a, you know, a pick play in basketball where you want it, where you're using your body to, to shield the defender. And it's not going to be legal if such and such happens. There's ways you can explain things. I do not call it dummying it down. I just call it trying to explain things. And so uh, my, my producer, Betsy, and I, we, we kind of had a uh, – we had a joke that actually dated back to, to Sunday Night Football where it used to make our director, Drew Esikoff, crazy when he'd hear about A-gap, A-gap, yeah, A-gap, C-gap. Yeah. All right, what – do you think people really understand what that is? So I kind of made this, this vow that I wasn't going to use that kind of terminology. <laughs> so here we are last year. Um, it's our final game. It was Chiefs Chargers. And I think it was Justin Jackson. He had just this gigantic hole in the A-gap. So I'm on the replay, and I go, and look at that hole in the... 
<laughs> in that area between the guard and the center. And after the game, Betsy says to me, you did it. You you didn't pull out the lingo that nobody's going to. Yeah. I mean, I literally caught myself in the middle of it. And I think that's just what it is. And I and truthfully, Dean, I think that that would benefit a lot of announcers. 100%. Because it may sound really cool. There's no doubt. And you know, whether you're Troy Aikman or, or, or Chris or, or James Lofton or, or Mark Schlereth or, you know, you know, Spielman, whoever it is, these guys that have played the game, of course they know, you know, everything, but it may sound cool when you, when you're recounting this at the water cooler the next day, but you really understand it. So for me, it's just a matter of if, I can't explain it. I'm not going to use that terminology because yeah. there's plenty of things that you can explain that make the audience feel that they're learning something along with you and not being just talked at. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And and I look at my own experience having, you know, coming from an officiating background, but I never was an on-field official and I had to learn the rules from from a different perspective and officials and you've talked to enough officials, they have a language that they speak. And I and I mm-hmm. use when I'm on the air and I'm explaining a call, I could use all of this officiating jargon and it would come across to the viewer as what is he talking about? And and that's I've always felt that was an advantage for me because I was learning it from a fan perspective and I had to present it in that way. And I think that's helped me explain rules to people. And I think you, you know, what you're explaining is basically similar in that because, you know, we've all, we've all seen the shows and I think that's more that, that language is probably more suited for, you know, the breakdown shows where they have more time to really dive into the, the X's and O's, but where you, you know, we, we, I have very little time on the air. You, you have a couple of seconds to explain something next place coming up. And, uh, and I think that works. And I think more analysts need to need to use that approach. Well, I appreciate that. So one thing that's kind of cool that, um, you know, I, I think that, and we, we kind of get asked all the time, what is the differentiate your broadcast other than the, the, the voices are, are literally and figuratively different. And I always like to say that we're kind of a reporter's broadcast. Um, I think that um, uh, the, it, it came to, it, it, it was in full, full bloom last year when we had Raiders, Niners, and during the week we knew that uh, uh, C.J. Beathard, who's the backup quarterback who was already playing for, for Jimmy Garoppolo, was 50-50 with an injury, and so, as you know, you get the, the inactives 90 minutes before that, but even before that, about two hours, I got a, I got a text from somebody in the Niners saying, Bethard's not going to be able to go. It's going to be Nick Mullins, rookie from Southern mm-hmm. Miss, making his first mm-hmm. start. So we kind of just we, we leapt into action. So tracked down his college coach, who was now the offense coordinator, I think, at Auburn, wherever he was. We got him on the phone. Then talked to another coach who was with him in college, and that was Todd Munkin, who is now the offense coordinator in Tampa, mm-hmm. got him on the phone. Then I talked to John Lynch. Then I talked to Nick Mullen's agent, Buzz Cook, who's also Brett Favre's agent, because there had been some, obviously, some comparisons mm-hmm. made. So we had about four or five different people that we talked to. And and our executive producer from Amazon said, Ugh, bunch of slackers. Why didn't you talk to the midwife who delivered him? <laughs> and, you know, we're sitting there going, but as it turns out, the kid had, you know, played out of his mind. Yeah, had a, had a great game, game. yeah. 
had a great game. And as the game progressed, we could, as as each quarter went on, we could give you different layers of information about Nick Mullins. And that, to me, was really cool. So as opposed to just continuing to say the same yeah, yeah. thing on a loop, we had all these different things. So that that being said, one of the things that I try to do when we talk to these players, and so last week we had the or two weeks ago, we had the Texans, and this is a great example. We're on the phone with DeAndre Hopkins. And so one of the things I wanted to talk to him about, uh, in addition to obviously going up against the the the, um, the Colts' defense, is, okay, you're known for your incredibly acrobatic catches. So take me through this. Explain to me the body control that's needed. Explain to me how you make these tiptoe catches. Explain to mm-hmm. me how you are, you know, this almost – you are, are a, a almost automatic in terms of getting first downs, not converting just third downs, but getting first downs. So the idea of what's it like to something is, some, is what I try to get from a lot of these players. And then when you see it materialize in the game, you can bring to your audience a whole nother layer of explanation. So it's not just, okay, well, you know, he's going up against Pierre Desir, they're in man-to-man coverage, and to see your, you know, you can go way beyond that. You can try to give your audience perspective on how the athlete, how the receiver in this case is making some of these catches, not just, you know, how he uses his body to box out, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. I, I think that that's just one other, one other layer of information that, that we tried to give you. Yeah, and getting and people want they want you to peel back that that kind of that curtain, right, and see behind the scenes yep, exactly. and get in get in the mind of the player and what happens. And I think the especially the NFL fan loves that, and I think they can't get enough of that. So you know, I I love that approach, and we try to do that when we talk about officiating as well. So segueing to that, saving the best for last. Huh. Okay, where uh-huh. where are we with pass interference review? What has been your your experience this season? What what are your thoughts on it? The rule, how it's been applied? I'm I'm interested in what you think. Well, you're the expert on this, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I think that I think that people continue to say we, and and when I say people, I mean literally, whether you're in the broadcast booth whether you're a fan at home, whether you, whoever it is, whether you're standing on the sidelines, I think each week you continue to say, I don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how the, how it can be, how it, it, it can be explained. It can be qualified. Look, I mean, what I, what I've learned listening to people like you uh, who continue to hammer it in, uh, certainly listening to it from, from Al Riveron and, and Troy Vincent. I think what people have to remember is the call in the field is the Holy Grail. So what the initial call is, is, is the standard from which you start. Well, that standard is we're all human and officials are human. Yeah. That's still going to be a judgment call, what you see at that moment. Well, by the time it gets kicked back to New York it's still a judgment call. Yeah. That's what I think. So you're, you're trying to get perfection in a situation where that is impossible. Uh, of course you want to get it right, but at what expense to the game? Because no matter what, it's still a judgment. And 
I, I, I know that Sean Payton was very frustrated and he's talking about it's got to be more than one voice. Yeah. And, and I, I understand that. But I've been in that command center and you know what goes on in yeah, there better sure, than anybody. Sure. And there still are other people. Yeah. Even though it is Al's ultimate decision, he's He gets input. He gets with, input. With, with Russell Yurk, exactly. He's getting input. So I think it's, I think it's difficult. I think, Dean, anything that detracts from the play on the field is not good for the game. And we've got to constantly remind people this is a one-year experiment. Uh, I think that as we edge closer to the playoffs and the whole postseason, it gets you a little worried because, boy, you do not want, above all, you do not want to happen this year what happened last sure, year, sure. which is that seminal play in the NFC Championship game that really, you know, that, that turned the tide for things. Uh, but I, I, I think it's uh, it's added a whole other layer of, of angst, which I, I think is, is very unfortunate uh, in a season that has had so many good things, and yet every week you kind of see this come up and you sort of shake your head and say, if not this, then what? Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the reason why this this has not been a reviewable play situation, why the committee was so averse for so many years, because like you said, it's judgment. And when you when you take a subjective call like pass interference and you make it reviewable, all we're doing is taking... We're taking the official on the field and we're replacing uh-huh. his or her judgment with somebody else's judgment. And it's still that word uh-huh. is still part of it. And you, me, Al Riveron, Troy Vincent, Troy Aikman, Mike Prayer, we could all sit in a room and look at 10 pass interference calls and not agree 100 percent on any of them. And because it is such a subjective call. And that's been I think we're, we're seeing that we're seeing that play out. And I think that's like you said, it's a one year, it's a one year experiment or one year rule and they don't have to vote it out. They can just let it be. I think they're going to look at it. They're going to tweak it potentially. But again, I just hope that we don't get into a situation like you said in the postseason where we have that, we have that catastrophe and, uh, and it, and it detracts from what, you know, what should be a celebration of a hundred years of NFL football. Right. I'm curious though, really quickly, where do you see it being, how do you see it being tweaked? Yeah. Well, I like that. Now you're interviewing me. I love that. So absolutely. It's it's, to me, I think they have to look at every, they have to look at how, how the rules being applied. And from a replay perspective, I think you want consistency and you either, you either stick with, okay, Saints Rams, that's the standard. Then, then, the call in the field is going to stand unless it is so blatantly obvious that it was pass interference. I think we saw that throughout the season, and I think people had a hard time digesting that and accepting that. And so ultimately, to me, it either is or it isn't pass interference, and we use the technology if they're going to keep this rule to say, yeah, it's judgment, and in my judgment or or whoever's making that decision in New York – it's past interference or it isn't. And I think that's where, you know, that's where the committee has to focus on. The other thing is we're talking so much about replay, but we've got to focus on the officials on the field too. And some of these calls that are being missed, why are they being missed on the field? And we're having this debate about replay. Well, let's get to the root. If there is a problem, let's get to the root of it and figure out the official on the field and coach them up and get them to the place where we're, we're being consistent initially. 
So. Right, and that and see that that point is exactly consistent with what I started off saying, which is that the call in the field is the holy grail. That's why that's the one you have to try to get as as correct as possible, especially knowing the climate right now, which is that it has to take something so egregious to change that. And uh, and I, I think it's also interesting, uh, and and I, I I don't know what it is uh, across the board. You can't generalize completely, but. You wonder how much pressure the officials do feel because maybe they sit there and feel, ah, well, you know, it's going to go to review anyway. Well, no, no, no. I think it's more important than ever to try to get it right. You always want to get it right. Yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. That's that's everybody's job. But I think it's more important than ever to try to get it on the field, to get it right on the field, because it's so difficult to overturn, you know, not even just PI, but just, you know, any of these calls, I think, uh, I think is really interesting. I, and... It, look, it's um, it's something that it, it makes for great conversation. Uh, there's no no doubt about it. I'm yeah. just not sure if that's the uh, if that's the kind of conversation that you want to be having with uh, with all these with all these great plays that are being made and all these you know some of the, especially some of these great games that are coming down to the wire. So um, you just you, you hold your breath, right? As an official, that's, you hold your breath. Uh, that was when the postseason <laughs> comes. When I was in the officiating department, the, the, the most tense time was when there was a flag thrown and then you're waiting for the replay. That, that was, you're mm-hmm. just those couple of seconds waiting for the replay. Is it going to be there? Is it not going to be there? And that's, and so I, I live that. I know what our river on's going through. It's a tough, tough job. And, and like you said, I hope we, uh, you know, smooth sailing the rest of the season and we can focus on these unbelievable games and great players and coaches and everybody Yeah, I else. remember when we did the Super Bowl, you know, with Sunday Night Football, um, you know, we had the great Arizona Pittsburgh Super Bowl. Yeah, I remember meeting with you know talking to Pereira uh, before that game. You know, he was, he was in our NBC production meeting, and you know, it's just you know he was he was just honest about how you, you hold your breath because you just don't want a game of you know the biggest game ever to come down to an officiating call. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's it's yeah, it's it's stressful all around. But um, you know, you you at some point you got to trust your eyes and and and. As as has been famously said, Dean, do your job. That's right. Do your job. We know that. Do, right. Do your right. job. Right. Exactly. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for taking some time. You're the best. Really appreciate it. And uh, and good luck with the rest of the season. Well, thank you, Dean. And and not to not to end this by getting myself in trouble, but of course, the officiating situation misses you. <laughs> well, but I, you've I got appreciate a great, that. You've got a great gig and. <laughs> But anyway, listen, thanks for having me on. It, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, and happy to come back and visit anytime. And happy holidays to you and to your listeners. Same to you. Thanks, Andrea. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. 
so show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. All right, let's shift gears. Let's go this week in the Cube. We spent a lot of time in the Cube Friday, Saturday, Sunday, got a little loopy. But the thing that stood out for me, one of the things that stood out for me is that we were quoting, we have another guy that works with us, Scott, and he's a he's a big movie buff. And so we were quoting, we were talking about The Irishman, which I haven't seen yet, Martin Scorsese, and it brings up, you know, De Niro, Pacino, and and Joe Pesci. And and I started, we started quoting Goodfellas. And one of the classic scenes from Goodfellas, when Ray Liotta and, and Joe Pesci, they're in the restaurant and Ray Liotta says, you're a funny guy. And Joe Pesci starts playing, you know, messing around. He's like, why am I so funny? What am I a clown? I amuse you. The whole deal. And Travis and Travis like, what, what was movie? that from The Godfather? He's like, what movie is that from? The Godfather? And like, he, <laughs> the fact that there were so many layers of my anger is that he didn't know what movie it was from. I was messing with the, you. No, you didn't. The second... <laughs> layer of anger was that he just assumes because I'm talking about it, it's the Godfather. And it just makes me and then we talk about that he he hasn't seen Rocky. Like I, he I hasn't seen there's seen, a lot of movies I haven't seen. It's embarrassing. As an yeah, Italian American I'm so up offended it. that you haven't seen Rocky. <laughs> and how do you, you know, not see Rocky? I don't right? know. Let's watch it together, guys. Oh that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But that could be episode <laughs> one of the SWG. Yeah, exactly. Him watching his, Rocky. Yeah, his, his, we'll, we'll his live tweet it reaction we'll, to we'll it. Oh my god, this is, oh, this is he really this show wow. is writing itself. This it's is amazing. I've never seen I've never watched a movie with a black person in it. This is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> this is so anyway. That aside, there was some really good stuff on social media. And one of the things this came across, I don't know, it just happened and, and it came across this this Twitter person started joined November twenty nineteen. Started tweeting at me. Started <laughs> tweeting at me and it's the Dean Blandino alert and it's at alert Dean and it's a Twitter page and it's trying to spot every appearance of the greatest rules analyst with the best name. And if you there's a picture There's two great there's pictures. Two great pictures. There's me, my face on a goat's body. And I can only assume that he's implying that I'm the goat, which is great. And then it's a picture of it's the last supper with me as Jesus and, and my face. And it's unbelievable. It's, I, you, I don't know. And so this, whoever Joe, you're going to make t-shirts, right? We're going to make t-shirts. Oh, whoever yeah. it is, 
So should so I follow him with the good calls? Absolutely. Turn yeah, on the alert right too. You'll get a you'll get a ping every time Dean goes every on time. TV. Exactly. So so there's <laughs> that, and then there's this kid, and I don't know what to do, but there's this kid. He 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 tweeted at me like he asked me how the weather was in LA and I always like these guys know like I I'll respond any any tweet at me that has nothing to do with football I'll respond football stuff I'll respond if it's a legitimate question but I'll respond how's the weather and I was like oh it's pretty good in LA you know a little cold for southern california standards he's like oh it's snowing and raining in new york I guess this kid's from new york and he's like you know um you know can we you know if penn state makes the rose bowl can me and my buddies come out and stay with you? We'll bring the beer. So I was like, you know, we're playing around. So I said, yeah, you know, I'll get a couple of air mattresses and I'll stock the fridge. So he sends me a direct message and he said, <laughs> we're going to be in LA. Gives me the dates. And if Penn State makes it, that would be so awesome if we could crash with you. <laughs> and then he's tweeting his friends. So now I feel bad. Like I want to hang out. I'll hang out with him, but I can't have him and his buddies staying with me. I just, it's not going to work. But hopefully he listens to the podcast and know that, Andrew, I want you to come out, hang out. We'll have a good time. I'll show, you know, I'll take you guys out, but you can't crash at my place. We'll get you a couple shirts, too. We'll yeah, get, we'll, we'll get, get, get them shirts. We'll shirts. buy them drinks, whatever, you know. Um, Travis, you you brought this up to me. Can you explain this? This this happened. This was a good discussion we had in the cube. Can you can you just set this up for everybody, everyone, please? So we see a lot of like weird names, random names. We we the the, the one we we had a few weeks ago, the coldest Crawford, I think, and the coldest to ever do it yeah. was there. And and the play by play voice of the Yellow Jackets, Georgia Tech, and also the play by play for the Atlanta Dream. His name's Andy. What do we say? Demetro? How is that? How we say it? He yeah. said one of the most underrated storylines in the college football this season: the slow influx of influx. <laughs> Um, freshman uh, named after early 2000. Do we have rappers. to mark this episode explicit now? Because Travis just said what he just said. The it was guys a, will definitely. It was a long. Now weekend. we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to make it explicit. So go ahead, continue. Influx. Yeah. So the, we're seeing all these new names of these 2000. And these are actual. Rappers. Can you name, name the? These are actual names. So here's some of the names this guy listed in in this tweet: Jadakiss Harvey, Cameron <laughs> Kelly. Mystical McGee. Watch yourself. Mace, Mace Funa. So it's, we were, so I, I was, I want this to become such a thing. And I want people to name their kids. Like I was going through like 90s rappers and can we, I mean, I just want like, like Buster Rhymes Williams. Like, can we have like, I, I want so bad for this to become a thing. Like, please, please name your kids after 90s rappers. Like this is two thousands rappers, so they're not even like good rappers on like the, the the scene of like actual good rappers. Whoa, SWG, what do you know 90, about good rappers? 90s rap. That's when that's when so these all are good two, rap. Oh, ended. these are two thousands yeah, rappers. 2000, oh, Travis God, wants yeah. all vanilla but ice hands. He wants yes. But then again, yes. but Mace is a nineties rapper, so 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 he was a little bit off. Like Jadakiss, question, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Mystical, I don't even know what that is. But he you guys, Snow, Snow McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Travis loves him some snow, man. He loves snow. Did he, he get a sure snow does. song on? I'm so close this to singing kid, it, but I'm not going to. Please, go ahead, Travis. No, give I, us a little I, snow. Well, we won't be able to play it. The guys will tell us to oh take my it off. I heart informer. You know, so yes. that is no me. I can blame. I'll lick it, boom, boom, down. Why do we not have video? <laughs> oh, 
god. I so want this to be a thing. Like, please name your kids after 2000 rappers so we can just we can just name it. I have a son on the way. Travis. Oh, Travis. Well, we want because you have the whole Scandinavian Macklemore thing. Macklemore Hansen. We want Hans Hansen is probably still on the Thor table. Thor Hansen. Can we can Victor we with a K? Yes. Magnum. Henrik the Destroyer Hansen. That's who I want. Um, Leaf. But we do have we do have we do have some really good names. I mean, we always we always loved he played with Texas last year. Is he in the league? I think he's on a practice squad, Lil Jordan. Yeah, he got cut by someone. Yeah. Lil Jordan. I think Humphrey. he got cut by Atlanta when which I think is after, the greatest. Yeah. Lil Jordan is such a is such an amazing. But the crazy name. timing of this whole thing was when we were having this and discussion, we were doing this, it, the current cornerback There's for Nebraska. A, the, His name's DiCaprio, DiCaprio Boodle. DiCaprio Boodle. So we weren't <laughs> sure if they, if mom was a fan of like Titanic or what. And so DiCaprio Boodle, like it's so, the king of the world, man. The king of the world. I think it's amazing. Maybe I name my son Clooney. They, Why don't you name him Shaquille Hanson? Clooney Hanson. Shaq Hanson? That sounds Shaq cool. Hanson does I sound not. I Sonny. like Shaq. I still like Sonny. <laughs> yeah. Sonny. Joe likes Sonny. Um, and then speaking of Joe, speaking of <laughs> Joe sends so so we get a text. We Joe get a, sends us a lot we of get random a text stuff. like like at midnight. Joe sends a you up text to me, <laughs> Travis, and Scott in the studio. So, so none of you, us replied. None of us replied, but, but Scott did reply. Like, um, excuse me. <laughs> and so Joe, we we figured that Joe just sends when he's lonely. He sends a you up text to his entire contact list, and he hopes that somebody responds. Did so, you get any bites? Any bites? I only sent. I was trying to just send it to Dean. I just you guys. We were on the group thing, and you know. Yeah. Well, so what did you want to discuss? I don't even remember. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you did say that there one about probably, the pizza. Let's talk about your pizza. There idea. was probably a oh, the pizza that move. Could, yeah. So Wednesday night, big night to go out uh, day before Thanksgiving. So me and some friends were out having some cocktails. And what do you always want when you're out drinking? When you're done? Yeah, not late sushi. night snack. Not, not sushi. sushi. We, we definitely not. Either some sort of a burger, some sort of a taco, or a pizza. I got on the app, the Something Fresh Brothers crazy. app. Ordered a pizza to my house. That's a left great call. In the That's notes, a very good call. Please just leave it on the doorstep. I paid with a credit card, left the tip and you everything. You can do it on the app, yeah. We got home and there was a pizza on the doorstep and it felt like I had just won life. The yeah. video, you're he excited. Videoed your voice is videoed it. We all I got, got pizza the car. on my doorstep. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Do not get the triple pepperoni. It's too much pepperoni. I never thought <laughs> okay. I would say that. That's a lot. Of, but It triple? was a lot. This dude. is two weeks like, in a row talking Fresh Brothers. Fresh Brothers is pretty solid. Maybe we should... Fresh Brothers, you guys want to sponsor the show? Yeah, yeah come on. Come on, Fresh Brothers. Fresh Brothers tweet was out. a good call. Good we could tweet that video out. Fresh Brothers. The good calls. It's a good call. So, <laughs> speaking, of pizza, pizza. speaking of pizza, <laughs> so I don't know if you've seen, the Papa John's video was, was quite the topic of discussion in the Cube this weekend. And we were just amazed. That if there's so much, and obviously there was so much talked about on social media about Papa John's, like, and so we came up with this this idea that that I'm friends with Papa John and he was I was he was calling me after the interview. <laughs> I don't know how this came up, but he was calling me after the interview and it was just a one way conversation. So all you could hear was me and I'm doing this in the cube. Well, let's set up the commercial or the video a little bit, though. Like how his voice sounds. Well, that people and the way know. Like people, you watch the video, go watch the video. Trust me. And, and so, and so I'm taking the call from Papa John Schnatter, whatever his name is, Schnatter Herder. Schnatter. Uh, I'm not sure. And after the video airs, and so this is me just talking. So I'm going, hey, what's up, man? You know, no, it's late. Yeah, I was about to go to bed. No, 
I thought you came across re- you came across really well. I think yeah. I he has no pizza making experience. I agree. It's <laughs> forty pizzas is a lot of pizzas, and you you're the guy. And, and there is no consistency. It's like it's like pass interference in the NFL. There's no <laughs> consistency right now with with pizza. And no, I don't 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 text Peyton. No, it's late. <laughs> don't it's late on the West Coast. Don't don't text Peyton. He no him and. I don't think he and Brad Paisley have better chemistry than you and him. I really don't. So that that was the gist of, and this went on for like thirty minutes. So Way you can long. see we had a lot of fun, and we had a late night on Saturday, and uh, and so we, we might did. have to do this with more things that make. Oh it. my god, we'll go. We'll, we'll go we'll viral. Definitely do yeah. that. So let's finish up. It's uh, let's let's end with the brain of Blandino. Joe, can you pick something the brain for us? Of Blandino. All right, what do you? Let's got? check it out. Bobby got a raw deal. One kick to knee and he gets DQ'd. Johnny commits about four flagrant fouls. Oh, Karate Kid. Yes. Yeah. We're going to break this down. Okay, so in the offseason, we are going to break down the Karate Kid, the tournament, and the final, the officiating, because I have a lot of problems. We're going to do a whole episode on on officiating in movies and TV, and I have a lot of problems with how that was officiating. Bobby got a raw deal. Here's the kid that was the one Cobra Kai with a heart. He was the one guy that when they were beating the crap out of Danielson, and he was the one guy that was telling Johnny Just to stop. Yeah. And and then Miyagi had to come and and beat them all up. And this is the guy that came in. He was the runner-up the previous year at the All-Valley State Tournament to Johnny. He's already playing second fiddle to Johnny. And now he goes into the match. And and I think he's just as good as Johnny, and he could beat Daniel. But what does the coach say? He says, "I don't want him beat. I want him. I want him taken out. I want him out of commission." So Bobby has to kick him in the knee, and he gets immediately disqualified for sweeping the leg. Right? right? Not even sweeping the leg. He he did a jump kick, and he kicked him in the knee. If you watch the final match, Johnny commits like four flagrant fouls culminating with him catching Daniel's leg and dropping an atomic elbow on the back of the knee, the already injured <laughs> knee. And the referee's like, no, that's not, a, that's not even a foul. It's a warning for illegal contact. That, to me, Bobby got a raw deal. You know, I'm going to agree with you on this, although you aren't a rules expert in the karate world. I, we, will, we will bring on, how about that? We will bring on a rules expert in that in that arena and we will break it down with that expert how about that i, I love, love that, that idea, idea. I love all right so we'll jinx do, we'll do that you owe me a we'll do that in the off season nice that's our show this has been good calls with me dean blandino please follow me on twitter at dean blandino and instagram at dean dot blandino see what i did there follow the show on instagram and twitter at rules podcast and be sure to rate our podcast on the iHeartRadio app and on apple Podcasts. Good Calls with Dean Blandino is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention we have one of the top zoos in the country. 
So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my! Look at that! He is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.